quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. This episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, alpha-lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. Byheart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. Byheart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. I'm Michelle, recovering yeller, control freak, and perfectionist. I didn't want to be a connected parent, but my strong and smart oldest daughter would not succumb to my bribes, threats, and manipulations. After years of control parenting, I threw it all out and started over. I doubled down on the idea of connective parenting and turned in time out for time in. It's taken me years to figure out how to unknot sticky situations without using punishments, but I've finally cracked the code and now I can help you create the relationship with your child that you dreamt of having when you first decided to become a parent. It's not easy letting go of star charts and bribes, but you can change. Listen in as we interview parents just like us who found success and hear from experts who will help us better understand how to form a deep bond with our children. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle and I have lovely guest Rachel Shepard Ota, who is going to talk to us all about crying it out and infant sleeping and child sleeping and welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about yourself, Rachel. Thank you. Well, thank you, first of all, so much for having me. I have my own podcast, so it's kind of fun to be on the other side of it. So yeah, so I'm Rachel, and I'm the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby on Instagram, and I am a mom of two. I live in San Francisco. My kids are three and a half and almost one and a half, and I am a pediatric sleep specialist, so I am certified in sleep through the Isla Grace baby-led sleep certification program, which really focuses on attachment. It's a 16-week course, so it goes really in-depth. And then I've also done some other like mini trainings from other people. I'm about to start breastfeeding education course this summer. So yes, you know, busy, lady. Been, busy. Yeah, busy, busy, but it's, I was a teacher before this for almost 10 years. And so supporting families has always kind of been my passion. And since becoming a mom and dealing with my own sleep struggles, I just kind of found this new passion for supporting new parents and helping guide them through, you know, that really tricky first couple of years. So yeah. it's been fun, busy, but fun. Yeah, good. And I was a teacher too. So we have that in common. So that oh, what did you teach? High school Spanish. <gasps> oh my gosh, you're my hero. Oh, I loved my high school Spanish teacher. Oh, They're the best. Yeah, I love my students. They were so sweet. But I that's think awesome. that's why I have a big passion for teens too. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's get into it. Today, we're going to talk about the cried out method. We're going to talk yeah. about training in general. And just, I think, like you said, it's so hard those first two years and all of us are so sleep deprived and we're all looking for answers so we can sleep and 
there's a lot of discussion around sleep and expectations. And I think it's really confusing and hard for people. And I'd love to like unravel a little bit of that today. Yeah. Let's talk about cry it out. And I let my kids cry it out and I have a lot of guilt around that. And yeah, me too. Yeah. And so it's like, I know it, it's something that we want to do because we all want to sleep and we think everyone needs to get good sleep. But what are some other ways instead of using the cry it out method? Yeah. So first, I guess we'll just kind of define the cry it out method just in case anybody doesn't know or is unclear because there is a lot of murky water when it comes to talking about sleep training. There's lots of very clever marketing tactics out there that people like to use calling things gentle or saying it's a no cry method. They like to package it in a certain way. And I totally get that because no parent wants to hear their child cry. Right. But in general, cry it out is kind of comes out of most often when people hear about it, they're kind of referring back to the Ferber method or the full on like cry it out extinction method. These are both kind of old school ways of thinking and ways of doing things from the 80s and 90s, even much before that. There is that extinction method that unfortunately people still use. And I hear this all the time that pediatricians are recommending it. So people think it's safe and think it's effective and think that it's what they have to do to teach their baby how to sleep. So that's really where you're kind of, you know, putting your baby down for bed, saying goodnight, closing the door to their nursery and not going back in until the next morning, whether they cry or not. That's kind of like the most extreme. And I think people do it because it does work sometimes. Yeah. People, it yes. just really works and kids will give up basically. Yeah. And stop crying because they finally realize no one's coming for them. Right. What's happening in the infant brain is it's shutting down. We hear all the time of like fight or flight when we're super stressed. Fight or flight actually is really more of a simplistic way to think about it. There's actually multiple stages that, you know, we can go through when we're hyper stressed and especially an infant being separated from their caregiver really is a life and death thing when you think about it in terms of evolution. So it's extremely distressing for a child to be left alone. They have no way of knowing if and when we're ever coming back. So for them, they're so stressed that they will cry. They'll cry. They'll cry. They'll try to elicit this response from their caregiver, which is come pick me up. And once that doesn't work, depending on the baby's temperament, it could be 15, 20 minutes, could be an hour. Once they finally realize that no one's coming, the brain kind of has nothing else to do but to shut down so that it can reserve whatever energy is left to survive. So it's really heartbreaking when you think about it in that way. And a lot of people might think that that's being dramatic, but that's just brain science and neuroscience. And that's just the fact of what's happening. There's that. And then Ferber and these other really popular sleep training programs have kind of emerged out of that and said, okay, well, let's not do that. That's a little bit inhumane to just leave a baby by themselves for 12 hours, but maybe we'll try going in at timed intervals and we'll go in after five minutes of crying or after 10 minutes of crying. And I know that that makes parents feel better because they feel like they are checking on their child and they feel like they are supporting their child. But a baby doesn't know. It's kind of just arbitrary, right? Like a All baby doesn't know. Because yeah. they, oh, I'm here. Now I'm gone. Now you I'm know? gone like, again. Yeah. And that's actually what we experienced, my husband and I, when we tried sleep training with our first baby almost four years ago now. And the program we were using suggested that the non-breastfeeding parent go in so that baby doesn't expect they're going to be fed. He would cry for a very long time. He was a very, very persistent little guy. And we were doing the time check every five minutes, my husband would go in and you would hear this like ceased crying and like this relief that he's like, Oh, thank God someone's here. 
but then he would get upset all over again because we weren't allowed to pick him up. We weren't allowed to go in and feed if it wasn't that. So it was just awful. And we were getting so much less sleep. But like you said, for some more easygoing babies, like after a few nights, it does work. So I think a lot of fans of this method, they don't really see the harm because they say, oh, well, you know, it was three nights of crying, but in the long run of our child's life, like that's nothing, that's not a big deal. But I see with my clients, I'll get parents of Mm three-year-olds or five-year-olds who are having sleep regression, who won't stay in bed, who want to be with mom. And now the kids are all sleeping in the family bed because that's fine. If that's works for you, I'm all about whatever works for you, but Mm -hmm. they're all sleeping in the family bed because the kids won't sleep on their own because they've been verbalized or used some sort of insecure around bedtime. They don't feel safe and secure about it. So of course so we have to go and do all this insane work and we do it and it works and the connection piece totally works, but it's a lot of undoing and redoing and reestablishing and connection and in the middle of the night and all kinds of like deep work around this. And I feel so badly because these parents have already done the crying it out. Now yeah, they and then they feel it. like it's all for naught. Yeah. And that's such an important point to bring up too, because I think parents think it's like a one and done. And it's unfortunately really not the case. Most times when I speak with parents who have sleep trained, they've had to redo it when they've traveled yeah. or when their baby gets sick or when they go back to work and baby's dealing with lots of separation anxiety or they're at this huge developmental milestone, sleep progression, whatever you want to call it. Like, yeah, that happens all the time. It's yes, not, it's very it's not a quick fix. No. Yeah. And it's really hard on families. And it's hard because now it's like, I've just worked with a family where they've got two little kids sleeping yeah. and the mom's pregnant. And it's like, I just want to get everyone sleeping before I have my infant, you know, and it's of like, course, oh, of course. you're dying over there with like no sleep and no separation and no anything because, you know, people have said, use this method. It will help everyone sleep. And it feel like it just doesn't. No. And I mean, like anything in parenting, there are obviously people that will say great things about a certain way of doing things and people that will judge it and not think it's right. And sleep training is unfortunately one of those really polarizing topics in parenting where there's lots of mom shaming going on and lots of negativity around people who sleep train or people who co-sleep or bed share. It's kind of like you can't win. But yeah, it's hard because there is just so much misinformation out there about sleep training and about biologically normal infant sleep in general, where people have these crazy high expectations of how a baby should be sleeping They think they have to sleep train because they think they have to teach their baby to sleep. And then it's like this stressful, awful thing that they don't really have to do. They just feel like they have to do it. Are you looking for ways to parent without yelling or threatening? Do you crave to understand connection and how to use it in everyday practice with your children? Is remaining calm a challenge and staying away from shame hard? I can be helpful. I've been there and I've also helped so many parents overcome their parenting challenges with my one-on-one programs of either six, eight, or 10 weeks. We dive into what's specifically difficult in your own family and I tailor ways to help you remedy them using connection instead of conventional parenting methods. Go to www.peaceandparentingla.com forward slash private hyphen sessions and find out more about my private one-on-one courses. I'd love to see you there.
So tell us yeah. some things that you can do instead of using a ferberized method or crying it out. What are some tips yeah. for people? Yeah. So the first thing I always like to do with clients and with just my community in general is to first set really realistic expectations. I think that is truly everything. When you know what your baby is doing is normal and it's okay, I think a lot of the stress just kind of lifts. And when parents realize that a huge percentage of babies at six months and then even at 12 months aren't actually sleeping through the night, I think they feel like, you know, I can do this. I can deal with a waking or two per night. It's not a big deal. It's not really affecting me. And, you know, for some parents, it does really affect them more. But from what I see, Lots of parents that are only dealing with a couple of night wakings are actually doing fine and they're okay with that. And their baby still really does need those calories overnight. It's working out just fine. Once you have that kind of baseline of like, okay, this is what I should expect from my baby at this age. I think once you have that knowledge of what it actually really looks like, that can be a huge weight lifted. Then, you know, I always recommend for the fourth trimester, when baby's under four months or so, I recommend as much closeness as possible. It's just, the path of least resistance. Honestly, I hear from a lot of parents, especially first time parents of newborns that like, Oh my gosh, my baby will never let me put them down. They won't sleep in their bassinet. And I know that that can be super exhausting and really frustrating. And it can cause you a lot of stress because again, you think that you should be able to do that, right? It's like these crazy expectations of our society that you should be able to just put your baby down and go off on your business. But really when you think about how an infant is meant to be in the world in that fourth trimester and how they're meant to survive. It's really being on mom's body almost all the time, right? Yeah, I so, really believe that too. And I think, you know, I'm trained through the hand-in-hand parenting, which is connective parenting. And we believe yeah. that, that connection is so important in that. Well, always, but definitely in that first year of life. And that yeah. kids can be, well, if you want to, I have an old podcast on Patty Whitfler and I did on trauma, like many babies experience trauma in utero and in Mm -hmm. birth that they Mm -hmm. haven't processed yet. And some of the crying can be this emotionality that's coming out that might not be a diaper. It might not be that they're in pain. It might not be that they're hungry. It might be they're processing their emotions. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And I think in that fourth trimester, just really kind of realizing that your baby wants and needs to be close to you, especially for sleep and kind of just embracing that baby wearing contact napping, even setting up to safely co-sleep or bed share, if that's what you feel like is going to get you the most rest. And then from there, you know, you can try just little bits at a time getting your baby. If you want to have them sleep in a crib, little bits at a time getting used to that crib. I have a crib guide ebook that has helped a lot of families move to the crib full-time. A lot of the families that kind of gravitate to my page are families that co-sleep, but not all. I have lots of followers. And I've worked with lots of clients that, you know, have their baby in their own room from three or four months old, or they formula feed or whatever it is. I'm not ever going to say that every family should co-sleep or bed share, but sometimes it is the way to get the most sleep in the short term. Just kind of being flexible about where your baby sleeps is also really helpful. Yeah, I like how you say little bits. I wish I would have known that that would have really helped mm-hmm. me because I was like all or nothing, like put the kid in the crib and let yeah. him, but I, yeah. I should have been like, put the kid in the crib until they cry and then get them, you know? Right, and right, just practice. I, yeah, I wish I would have known that then. That would have been really helpful for me, I think, just yeah. a little bit. Because you really want them to build a positive association with their crib. You want them to enjoy their room, feel okay about being set down for sleep. You don't want it to be this huge, stressful battle. 
because then they're never going to want to sleep in the crib. And then you're really going to have a problem getting them to sleep in there using something besides cry it out. I really recommend just keeping it as low pressure as possible, trying the first nap of the day, which is usually when babies are going to go down a little bit easier because they still have a lot of sleep pressure left over from the night. Some babies though do go down for bedtime really easily because they've got the circadian rhythm kind of working in their favor and bedtime might be when you try. And maybe it's just the first stretch of the night. Maybe your baby goes down in the crib at bedtime, you have a couple hours free to yourself. And then when you go to bed, maybe they co-sleep with you for the rest of the night, if that's what's going to be the easiest for you. So I think just being really flexible about it too, can take tons of pressure off. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's great. I really believe in the idea of, and I don't know what you think of this, but we advocate for special time with infants, like Mm. really spending like 10 to 15 times to 15 minutes staring in your infant's eye and really talking to them and with them and connecting with them on a daily basis because that connection piece will help them fill up that they can spend time away from you because that time away from you is, like you said, your reptilian brain tells you, I need this person for survival. I need this person for love, for comfort, for food, for shelter. I know deeply inside of me. And if you rupture that connection by putting me by myself, then I'm fearful for my life, which sounds, you know, like it's so dramatic, but it actually, I believe that to be true that your reptilian brain informs you even subconsciously. 100%. I love that idea. And I think we hear about that like special connecting time or one-on-one time with toddlers all the time, but I love that you advocate for doing that with babies from day one. That's so, so important. Yeah, definitely out of the womb, 10 to 15 minutes staring at their eyes, calling it special time, even though you think they can't understand it, say, oh, let's do special time. I'm right here. Look at you. Oh, I see you. I'm right here. I'm your mommy. And you you connect with them. And you could even do it a couple times a day if you have a really fussy baby. I think it really Mm -hmm. helps. The other thing we do is like crying in arms, like when they're crying, saying, I hear you. I'm right here. I understand. It's hard. And really, like, I think that helps with expectations because if you expect your baby to cry, then you know that you can come with empathy and that it's all just going to happen because we know it's going to happen, that it puts your defenses at ease because you're not expecting this child just to be quiet. Right. And you're not trying to fix it because sometimes, like you said earlier, sometimes there's not much we can do. Babies cry, especially in those first couple of months. And then, you know, again, I always notice this really fussy phase around five or six months where bedtime just becomes really, really hard. And there is a lot of crying and there are a lot of tears. And sometimes, sure, it's overtiredness. Sometimes, sure, it's undertiredness. Sometimes it's anything. But at the end of the day, what most bedtime battles, whether you're five days old or five years old, is the separation. They don't want to separate from us. They don't want to be away from us for 12 hours overnight. So they're fighting that. Empathizing with that feeling, saying, I know you don't want to go to bed. I understand that that helps them begin to let go of it and feel seen and understood and all that. I'm wondering if five or six months was huge developmental too, probably. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of like sleep trainers will talk about different sleep regressions, right? Happening at different ages. And it kind of seems like there's just one, like every single month. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, I always felt like every tooth, it was like, great. Yes. It's just always something they're growing so quickly in that first year. So it really does feel like it's one thing after another, but yeah, six months is major. There's so much developmentally and cognitively happening. And you're kind of at the tail end of what that shift that happens. They 
we often call it like the four month sleep progression where the sleep architecture of the brain is actually changing. And it really happens more like between two and six months. I do notice that that can be a really, really tricky phase. But I think a lot of the work that I do with parents is also just in terms of framing those expectations, like you said, just knowing that this crying is going to happen. How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to stay regulated myself? Because a baby cannot regulate themselves. They can't regulate their emotions without a regulated caregiver. So if we start spinning out or getting angry or getting really tense, like we want to, right? Because it's the worst when our baby wakes up crying, but it's just going to make it last longer. The more wound up we get, the more it's going to be. Firsthand, I know that firsthand, I never could learn to calm down. And once I did, it really is because I think we've been trained as a society to squash feelings, to Mm -hmm. shut babies up, to Mm -hmm. make sure kids are seen and not heard. There's all these. And then we're thought of like, we're doing something wrong as a mom or a dad because we can't get the child to stop crying. And so then we start to go to self like loathing because we're not doing it right. What am I doing wrong? Yeah, Yeah, there's so much of that. And then even just on a biological level, like it makes us feel all these things. When we hear our baby cry, it, it makes our pulse speed up. It makes us sweat. It makes us feel anxious. And that goes back to cry it out. We have these physiological responses to our baby crying for a reason. It's because yeah. we're meant to go to them. And that's why cry it out for so many families is so, so hard and gut wrenching because hearing your baby cry and not going in is just yeah, <laughs> babies. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. So hard. Rachel, thank you. This was so lovely and so important. I wish I would have known you 15 years ago when Aww. I had my baby. And so I would have done a little bit better with my poor babies. Who oh my gosh. Well, you know what? I hear about this all the time and I'm a product of it as well. And so if you have used Cry It Out or if you have sleep trained and you're feeling badly about it, just know that none of this information is meant to be shaming. It's just We're all about just education and setting realistic expectations and setting you up for support so that you can feel empowered going forward. Because yeah, we've all been there. We've all made mistakes or done things as parents that we wish we hadn't. So that's okay. We do the best with what we know. And now we're helping somebody out there find this early and they can, they can. Exactly. I hope so. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Okay. So tell us again where we can find you. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Hey Sleepy Baby. And then my website is the same. It's HeySleepyBaby.com. And I am not offering one-to-one consultations right now, but there's tons of free information on my page. I have courses divided by group. So I have a newborn course, a five to 18 month course, and a toddler and preschooler age course. And they're just like mini workshop courses. So they're really easy to go through and there's workbooks and videos and stuff like that. And then tons of free stuff too. Lots of free guides and things like that. So good, lovely. Thank you. Any one last piece of advice you want to give anybody out there who's (sighs) struggling with their babies crying? Just, I know, honestly, you're probably already doing amazing. If you're listening to this podcast, it means that you are involved and engaged as a parent and you're wanting to get more information and to do better. So that right there tells us that you're already doing an amazing job. So just try to be gentle with yourself. Yeah, that's such good advice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us on the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle and I'll see you guys next time. (laughs) 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.